This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball with MLB insider John Heyman and former major leaguer Tony Gwynn Jr. Now joining us on the Big Time Baseball podcast is Marlins manager and Yankee legend Don Mattingly. Don, thank you for coming on today. How are you doing on your off day? Doing good, Tony. Hope you guys are doing good, too. We're doing well. We're hanging in there, uh, enjoying uh, the baseball we're getting to watch. Um, let's start. Let's start. Let's start where I think most people uh, would like to would like us to start. And you guys had to miss several games because of uh, the COVID-19 outbreak in the locker room. Um, but you, you come back. You, you guys have been able to play some games. You're sitting at seven and three. Uh, at least from a win percentage standpoint, atop the division. How were you able to keep these guys focused during that long layoff? I mean, because while you're quarantining, you're not allowed to to do anything baseball related. So how were you able to keep these guys mentally locked in? Well, I think it's a lot of credit to them and the and the players and uh, themselves because these guys love to play. Uh, we got a good group of, I think, older guys that are our leaders on our club, uh, and then a group of younger guys that have experience and that that also are in that same mold of loving to play. So, uh, like you said, there was not a lot we could do. You, know, you tried to do as much as you can in a room from physical standpoint of you know certain types of exercises that you can do. The pitchers had some things they could do with a sanitary sock and throwing a baseball into it to keep your arms moving. Uh, our biggest concern during this was health, right? Mm-hmm. And making sure our players, as they came back, we were able to do it in a way that it was safe for them and that we, you know, we didn't, you know, end up ruining careers for, you know, asking a guy to too, do too much with his arm and things like that. So uh, I think it's a bit, it's a credit to the players. Uh, I think the coaches obviously, uh, a few Zoom calls just to kind of continue to talk and keep communication open uh, amongst everybody and let, you know, just let them talk at how they were feeling, uh, what was going on with them. Not only the guys that are, are um, <clears throat> kind of our, uh, we call them the Los uh, Trece, the 13, uh, orig- kind of the 13 originals, <laughs> uh, and, and the guys that, that were uh, – you know, quarantine, everybody was able to get on a Zoom call and we continue to talk and, and keep our mindset right. And and we've came out of it pretty good. You really did. I mean, uh, it's amazing how, how well you came out of it, considering uh, you had 18 guys go down and it seemed like you waited the right amount of time and came back and um, 
everybody's been good since then. I know the Cardinals have struggled. They felt that they were ready. They went in the practice field and practiced a few times and then came back with a few more. It's just not easy. I'm not trying to pick on them or anything, but it's a difficult situation. I know uh, being in quarantine uh, can't be easy, particularly for guys in their 20s. Not not an easy situation. But I want to ask you, Don, about uh, how well this team came out of the shoot. I mean, you're, you're out for – more than a week in quarantine doing nothing and you lose 18 players, basically most of your pitchers, half of your lineup and you come in and you win five in a row by one run. I know that uh, a lot of people in Miami were talking about you having the Midas touch, uh, but you didn't even know some of these guys. Uh, How many guys did you not even know uh, when you started up again in Baltimore and how did you decide who was pitching when? How did you figure that out to get to the point that you could win five in a row? And people said, said, okay, four of them were against Baltimore. But you know what? Baltimore just beat up on Washington pretty good. So, I mean, it's a major league team. It was pretty good, pretty pretty amazing performance. Yeah, absolutely. I, I felt good about that, uh, the way we played in Baltimore. Uh, guys were excited about getting back on the field. And Baltimore was hot when we went in there. They'd been playing good. I think they beat Tampa two out of three. And and like you said, they went to to the Nationals after they left us. And and I, you know, if they win last night, I think they sweep those guys. Uh, so, but the main thing I think, John, I, I feel like our front office did a nice job of bringing in guys with experience. Uh, we had a few guys that were in the Jupiter camp that we knew from summer camp. Uh, with experience, the Nick Vincents of the world, Josh Smith. Um, and then the other guys that we brought in, you, you know, you kind of Mel knew a couple of them, our pitching coach. Uh, you look at it analytically, you try to match them up. You you know, you're always going to get a number from your analytics staff from, you know, this guy matches better with right, left. You get their pitch grades. Uh, and then you're able to try to match your guys up with with their hitters or that section of the lineup. And, and, and be honest with back to the players. They did their job. They came in and they threw strikes. They got big outs. And, and we were able to, to put some wins on the board and, and honestly put some money in the bank, you feel like, when you're in this situation. Don Manley joins us here on the Big Time Baseball Podcast. And, and, Don, you and I had a conversation a couple years back about the hitting philosophy and how it was changing in baseball and yeah, I remember you, you said something that stuck out to me. You were at the time, you wanted to see a few more, I think you called it flat bat path uh, guys because the strikeout rate was just seemingly climbing every year. Are you starting to see that in your organization as, as you guys have got out to a good start this year? I think we're reaching for, you know, we bring in James Rousen uh, over the winter to be the bench coach and kind of slash offensive coordinator. It's kind of a new position that we created uh, and that James was, was, you know, kind of pushing for that type of type of thing. Uh, and, and I, and Gary Dimbo, I'm going to go back to kind of the organizational philosophy. I think Gary Dimbo, uh, a lot of teams have went away from, from hitting coaches uh, that understood the swing and, and that taught the, you know, the launch angle and all that stuff and guys, guys that are in, you know, I don't know what they call these, the, the teachers on the internet or the YouTube or whatever. Right. And we've been able to bring some quality people with all the same values as far as how the swing works. Right. Uh, and I think we're kind of united as a, as an organization 
on how the swing kind of works. Not that we don't want to get the ball in the air because we were one of the worst uh, at getting the ball in the air. Uh, but there's a way to get the ball in the air properly. Right. And you do it while you're still, you know, a tough out. And when I say flat path, then sometimes that's where Anna, I think the analytical side can't really measure. There's right. guys in it. Look at Anthony Rendon, right? This guy gets a lot, hits some ball out of the ballpark and does a lot of things really good. But he also gets a lot of those hits where he keeps the bat in the strike zone. He'll throw a ball out over second because he puts it in play. Um, and those guys drive in runs, and you can't measure that because it doesn't come out as high, high cont or it doesn't come out as high exit velocity. But that same guy that doesn't measure high exit velocity also puts the ball in play. Uh, and that same path is is a swing that either you get barely jammed and hit a ball over second, as a lefty will say, or short. And if you click that ball about an inch and a half further out it's a ball in the gap or a homer. So it's yeah. the right path that gets beat a little bit with a flat path. Uh, and then if you catch the ball properly, then you got a home run. But on the backside of that, you get better hitters. You get right. guys that have put the ball in play more that hit for a little higher average. And we know that are we, we hear that average doesn't matter anymore. But as I looked last year, I remember looking at one point, like the top 10 average guys. And it was kind of from the 290 on up. And we said that average doesn't matter, but all those guys were like Freddie Freeman, Acuna, right. all, right. all those guys, Soto, Rendon, all these guys were driving in 80, 90, 100 runs, but average doesn't matter. That's where I go back to, yeah, but those same guys that are hitting for average are also the guys that are driving in runs. And there are some outliers, right? There's some guys that hit 300 that don't do any damage, but those are your own base guys that get on base for the other guys. So there is a little mixture there that we, I think we've been going for. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we mentioned Baltimore before in this weird year. Uh, they actually led Washington uh, last night, and I, the game was suspended because the tarp malfunctioned. Uh, so uh, typical of this year, uh, you know, it, a weird outcome. And I'm going to ask you to look at your crystal ball a little bit in this un unusual year. Uh, you are uh, in first place by percentage points, but actually behind in terms of the games uh, because uh, the Braves have played more games. Very weird situation. Uh, you came in with a rebuilding season, we thought. Uh, lost 18 players to the COVID situation. You're now 7-3. and three. Uh, Just to put on your crystal ball here, are, are you a contender now? Do you think you'll be a buyer? Where do you think this will take us and, and the season? And also, uh, I noticed that they called up uh, – you know, ser serviceable players who enabled you to win a lot of games and veterans, but they didn't call up the big prospects. Is it possible that they'll call up uh, the Sanchez's and uh, you have a Sixto Sanchez and Jesus Sanchez and uh, Max Meyer and some of the big prospects too, or is the service clock situation uh, too much of a hurdle here? Man, I forgot the first part of your question. That's a lot. <laughs> Are you a contender now? Where are you, where are you going from here? Do you think uh, uh, we, we came in thinking rebuild, but is this uh, your seven and three? Uh, what do you think? I'm gonna, I'll go back to the beginning, and I, I feel like I can unravel a little bit. Uh, you know, we looked at this as a turning the corner year for us. Uh, we've been building over the last couple of years and taking our lumps. Um, and you know, you, you're always optimistic during those seasons, but obviously that those didn't work out. 
uh, very well. But we felt like this year was a turning the corner of the year with the guys that we brought in and Corey Dickerson, solid hitter, uh, Jonathan VR, solid hitter, uh, Jesus Aguilar, who we love and, and feel like is a solid hitter and was re- a candidate definitely to bounce back. Uh, Matt Joyce is a guy who's going to contribute, give us, you know, quality, another left-handed bat in our lineup. And Francisco Cervelli, who's been almost invaluable to this young pitching staff during this. And you talk about our pitching and what's went on. I mean, Francisco is like a, for me, he's a lot like a Yachty back there who runs a game, has a great feel for the hitters and what's going on, and then able to actually take a game plan in, but also make adjustments off that kind of in game, which is so important. So we were on the page of turning the corner. And I think I and I understand that outside of our clubhouse and maybe our organization, <clears throat> there wasn't a lot of talk about the Marlins or what we were capable of. But I know within our organization and within our clubhouse, our guys had a belief in a 162 game season that we could compete. And that started with the Sandy Alcantaras, uh, the the Pablo Lopez's, the Caleb Smiths, our pitching. And as you mentioned, a lot of our prospects. Uh, there in, in that question, they're all, they were almost all at the AAA. A lot of them were at the AAA level. So when you talk about Jesus Sanchez and Alewin Diaz, uh, you know, Monte Harrison, who's here right now, Sixto, Eduard Cabrera, these guys were right at the edge of it, right? So we knew we had a good staff going in and a good team, but we also knew that anything that happened during the year, you felt like you were going to be able to absorb that and then start mixing your top-level prospects into your situation. Obviously, this year is different, and you asked me if we're a contender, absolutely, because we knew going in 60 games, by default, or whatever reason, this season, you're in it, right? <laughs> Everybody. The shortness of the season, depth, uh, depth does become important now because of all this, but usually in a 162, the best team with the most depth, you see the Dodgers and the Yankees, they have injuries, they absorb them, they bring guys in. You know, they got guys stacked at AAA that they're, they're paying, paying big, and, and that's where they beat you. But in a 60-game race, we're going to do it with prospects. We have did it, you know, creatively, I feel like, through, through the waiver wire and what our front office has been able to do. But in a 60-game season, we're in it. <laughs> and we knew the team that gets off to a good start in the 12 or 15 games, I mean, that's that's 20% of your season, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're in it. So we, we, we're we in it. <clears throat> Our guys believe it. And at this point, we're going to be on the road. When we leave when we leave Buffalo, we're going to play two games. Off day today, we've got two games here. We're going to be at a close to 20 days for our guys that have been down. We're, gonna, we're getting ready to get everybody back, right? Uh, so – you know, we, we wanted to hold down the fort. We're on this road trip. We've been able to do that. Hopefully our guys can get back and get in shape quickly and then start mixing and matching those guys back into our club. Uh, and, and we feel pretty good about things, John. I know people probably think this is whatever it is, mm-hmm. and we'll see how it ends up. But in our clubhouse, we believe we're, we're going to be fighting with everybody else. And there's nobody out there that we're really afraid of, to be quite yeah. honest with you. Nobody, yeah. nobody scares us. We're not going to back off. We're going to respect. you got to respect Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer and all these guys you play against. Mm-hmm. But we're not, we're not going to back off of anybody. We're going to feel like we can win every day. 
Don, you mentioned the mix of old and young, and, and obviously in this 60-game season, uh, it's, it's a dead sprint. How do you, how do you, ma- how do you manage really the, the young guys in terms of their development um, while also, you know, trying to win games in such a short season, it's, I, I would think it'd be difficult to, to, to kind of have the balance between the two. Yeah, I think the tragedy of this season uh, is no minor leagues. Yeah, You know, I mean, we're, we're back out, we're playing, we know we're, we're running around with masks and all the protocols and all that. So, you know, obviously that's not, you know, optimum with no optimum situation with no fans. The tragedy has been all the kids down there that aren't developing, right? And you have an X amount that, and you see how rosters were built with the 60 man. There's a lot of teams that have some very young guys that they probably don't plan on calling up to the big leagues, you know, at all this season, but they did want their prospects to continue to develop. Uh, and that's been a tragedy. I hope that there's some type of fall league, you know, able to happen. Maybe we can get some type of thing that makes this safer out here for everybody. And these, we can have some sort of leagues for the prospects during the winter. Uh, that, that would be great. Uh, as far as managing it both, you know, we're, we're here to win, right? And, and you're going to give your, your young guys a chance when they fit into what you're doing. Right. When we talk about uh, Amante or any of our young guys in jazz, when they're needed, we're going we're gonna to tap them in, right? And you protect them along the way. Uh, so it's hard to say how do you protect that development the way is you give them a day when they're really struggling. You continue to just help them get better. Uh, they're gonna, they may take their lumps, they may not, but whatever it is, it's going to be good for them. You know, you take your lumps a lot of times; it's good for you because it puts you where it is. We see prospects come up all the time that are touted the top ten, top fifteen, and they get chewed up and spit out in this league mm-hmm. because everybody knows. Everybody starts game planning. Everybody knows where to go, and then once one team finds the hole, you're gonna get, it's gonna get poured into that hole until you make an adjustment. So it, it is a little tough. That's been the tragedy of the season for me is is not having a minor league season where your young players continue to get better. I'm with you on that one, and uh, I agree on Aguilar and Dickerson and some of the veteran guys that you mentioned, uh, solid major leaguers. But uh, you have a team of uh, 28 now, I believe. Uh, it's hard to keep track with what things are going on right now. But uh, how, okay. many the, how many of the guys did you not know? I, I think a lot of people don't know a lot of your players, but you didn't know uh, how many of the guys – uh, when you started up in Baltimore, and who has really stood out to you? I mean, to, looking at it, Umberto Mejia coming up from A ball—that was a pretty good story. And Eddie Alvarez, a speed skater. I mean, uh, he's pretty acrobatic in the field. That, that, those are two that stand out for me. That I, because I've been watching all your games. Uh, how about for you? Who's really stood out? Uh, there's been a well. I mean, obviously, it's been a short period of time. And the guys you mentioned, Humberto uh, and, and Eddie Alvarez, were both guys that we had in, in uh, spring and in the summer camp. Uh, Eddie is a great story, and uh, honestly, when you know, I had heard guys talk about him within our organization and what he kind of what he was. Uh, but this guy's a pretty good player now. He can play all over the field. He's a switch hitter. He's smart. Uh, this guy surprised me how good he was. And he struggled a little bit early, got three hits yesterday, 
made a couple of great plays the other night to, to save a game for us. Uh, Umberto is another guy I think is it just tells you where we feel like our organization is going with depth when you get a guy that's in a ball, but they did put him on the 40 man roster. So they knew some things about him. This guy's a strike thrower. He gets three or four pitches over. He, if you watch that game the other night, you know, Francisco, wherever he put the glove, Umberto was close and he was throwing in the, it was raining pretty hard. It was fairly getting muddy out there on the mound and he was unflappable. So he's great. The other guys I didn't know quite as well, the Mike Marin, um, uh, Justin Schaefer, some guys that we picked up on the waiver wire. We knew Vincent uh, had uh, Josh Smith in camp, and then we picked up Josh, left-handed Josh Smith, uh, who we had last year for a short period of time. So the, there was a few guys they didn't know, but for the most part, uh, knew the guys that came back. Uh, it was probably more the pitchers that we brought in that, you know, Justin Schaefer's and Mike Moran of the world that I didn't really know. And the, and the Blyer trade is going to be good for us. Richard Blyer, who had a little, uh, little touch in, the, in the, the tricep the other day. This guy's going to be good for us. And not only this year, but I think long term. This guy can get lefties out, but he's a little funky and got big movement. So uh, he's another guy we feel like is going to help us as this thing. He's going to get back and he's going to help us down the stretch. Don, you mentioned when we were talking about hitting velocity, how you guys were in kind of all in sync in terms of the philosophy. As you start to rebuild an organization and and you're trying to turn the corner, how important is it for the front office and and the coaches, coaching staff to really be on the same page in order to make this thing turn quickly? Oh, it's I think like you're talking about a build with new ownership. And, and that's where I think you got to give credit to ownership, to Derek, uh, what he has talked about doing from the, from the moment he came in. And, and Mr. Sherman with the ownership was that we were going to build this thing from the bottom up. Uh, and he is connected. Derek's did a great job, I think, of connecting us all from development through our analytics all the way to the major league side of it. There's a, there's a continuity in what we're trying to do. So now as we're starting to get these guys in the minor leagues because we there's quite quite frankly they talk about there's a lot of things that go on in our development that is great. They do a lot of community stuff. Uh, they have a lot of meetings on talking about what our beliefs are and, and how we're going to go about things. They bring in a lot of, we bring in a lot of speakers from the standpoint of guys that we feel like that play the game right, have did it right. Uh, that this is what we believe in. We believe in good teammates, right? We believe in doing it right. We believe that you should be a part of the community and you have a responsibility in that area. So Derek and ownership have did a tremendous job, I think, of creating a whole organization that is is kind of in sync from top to bottom and how we want to do it. Um, I think over time, you're going to see this organization and we feel like we're in a great spot continuing to grow uh, and get better and better. We are right at the, cor- the the point of turning the corner. And I know we look good right now, and I think we're going to continue that. But moving forward, you know, you feel like your system's stacked and it's going to continue to get continue to keep improving. You know, one thing I thought Derek uh, did a good job with was he came out front and had a uh, call for everybody in which he explained uh, the couple instances that he knew about uh, where some of the players had slipped up early, and it was easy to do. I mean, you've got uh, 
30 guys who are generally 30 years old or younger, in your case, very young. Uh, so, uh, you know, we get it. We understand that their mistakes are going to be made. I'm glad that he was upfront about that. Uh, you know, I heard uh, secondhand that the quarantine was tough for guys, but they did a good job sticking in there. Obviously, you had one guy, Isan Diaz, who's a potentially a very good player, uh, opt out. Um, how, how did you keep these guys going through the quarantine? And now, how, how do you keep them uh, going in terms of doing the right thing? I know we have a compliance. Who, who is the compliance officer? And uh, how are you keeping them stick, sticking to, to the, all the protocols? Well, you, we do have a couple of new guys, the compliance officers that, that were through coming in through the organization and through MLB. I, I guess everybody has that now. Uh, they've, they've tightened up uh, the protocols, uh, which is a good thing, you know, and I think the biggest thing is that for us is move forward. You know, we, we know we got to stay healthy. We got to take care of ourselves. And, and to be quite honest with you, we, we preached that the whole time from the, the moment we came back to summer camp. Uh, we talked about family, uh, taking care of each other, uh, those type of things. I think uh, our situation really speaks to how dangerous this virus is and how quickly it spreads. Because as Derek came out and talked about, we could have been better, obviously, at the protocols and keeping the mask up and everything. But we did not have players running around. We did not have players going out other than going to get a cup of coffee, which was okay, which is part of the protocols, which was fine to do. We didn't have guys breaking that protocol. We weren't going out at night, running around, hanging in bars. So I think that was clear that he made that is that that didn't happen. So it told us that the, the, the virus was very, it's very contagious and very can decimate your club and quick as we found out. And also now the Cardinals are finding out and I would not be surprised if it happens to somebody else at all because right. it, it happens so fast. Uh, that you you just can't even it's it's crazy it's crazy so um, anyway that's that's kind of way in, in our main thought really is we're moving forward we're in a pennant race and when you're in pennant race baseball it's one of the things we tried to celebrate when we came back to summer camp it's like hey this is going to be some kind of fun because we're in a race and it's the best type of baseball that you can possibly play when Every game matters. You can't. We can't worry about. You know, we we get beat yesterday. We had two games in, in New York there. We lose two of them, uh, the last couple. But we were in both of them. If we get big hits in either one of those games, we have a chance to win both of those games, right? But you can't worry about that. You got to move forward. You can't worry about the wins in Baltimore. You, we walked into City Field. You got to put wins on the board. Those games are over. And that's the thing we want to celebrate is that we're in a pennant race. Every game matters. Your bats are important. Every out you get coming out of the bullpen is a big out. Let's just don't even don't matter if you get four or one. We need that. Every out you get is going to be a big one. So that's kind of the way we're looking at it. Just move forward. We're in a pennant race. This all that matters is this next game. Yeah, I think you're the right guy for this team, and it's amazing how uh, the team has gone from such a negative uh, story at the beginning and really uh, switched gears, and uh, everything seems so positive. Uh, it's amazing how well the team has played, uh, considering uh, lost 18 guys uh, from a team that wasn't expected to be a contender. I understand you guys expected to be contenders, but most people did not. And uh, it's really incredible the way you, you've performed, your team has performed. And I'm going to switch gears here and uh, ask you about something else. Uh, the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, I always voted for you. Uh, you got some support. You, there was a, 
Uh, you were a candidate for the Veterans Committee. Uh, you you were, weren't able to make it. Um, I wanted to ask you just, uh, I, for me, I thought you were one of the best players in baseball over a six, seven-year period. And, you know, I, I guess people will say I'm a peak guy or whatever. I mean, to me, that's uh, an impact on the game, uh, being one of the best. Uh, how do you look at this? Is this some uh, a, a big disappointment that you haven't made it to this point? And also, um, we've had, I think, a, a steroid guy or two get in already. Uh, we don't know that for sure. But, uh, you know, there are guys on the ballot who we clearly knew took steroids. You did not. You played clean. You played even before the steroid era. So it's easy for me to say that, but I covered you. I, I knew you were not that type of guy. Um, what, what do you think about the Hall of Fame general, uh, the steroid guy candidacy, and uh, how are you dealing with it all? Uh, in general, the Hall of Fame, you know, you feel like it's kind of like you played your cards. I'm done playing, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not going to throw any more cards on the table. I don't have an ace up my sleeve. Uh, <laughs> to, uh, and, you know, we, we're playing through a health crisis. For me, I wasn't able to do it long term. Right. And no matter what the reasons, you can't make any excuses in this game. Uh, I went through some things. I was not able to continue to play at the level that I started off at uh, for a long period of time. And that's what the Hall of Fame is. It's not greatness for a couple of years. It's greatness over a period of time. And I think that's what you see with guys that that get in that are great, great players. So I I don't have any ill ill feelings. I played my cards. I'm proud of my career. Uh, I'm going to continue to you know, as a manager to kind of do the best I can with helping my teams, you know, move forward. Um, as far as the steroids, um, you know, it's one of those things, that the the problem for me with the steroids, and because, you know, the Hall of Fame is really about numbers, right? And and if you know a guy that, that used them, and we don't, maybe we do, maybe we don't, or maybe we think, but we don't know, that's the, the problem is how many years and how many of those numbers are real? Right. If, are the numbers for all those years? We don't know that. Um, so that's the only thing. And, and I, I'm not going to be the judge of that. And I don't know if guys did or did not. I'm not the steroid police. But I think the problem with the steroids is, is again, you don't know if those numbers are real. I think we did see guys that we found out that were. And when they came off of them, they were a shell of the player. <laughs> right. they, were not, they, were not, they were not the same guy. And, and that's where you get the doubt is like, you know, how how great really was this guy or would he have been if he had to continue to go you know, straight away? So if you're if you're convinced that somebody took steroids, you, you wouldn't vote. If you had to vote, you you wouldn't vote for somebody if you were convinced. And I, and I understand there's doubt in some cases, but, you know, in some others, we, we have pretty compelling evidence. So if you were convinced you you wouldn't vote a steroid guy into the hall, I, I assume from that answer. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a vote, so I don't have to worry about it. And, and we, you know, that's the thing. I, I think you just don't know if it was like you know, guy came out and admitted and said that he had, he had mm-hmm. did it, and reason why. Then I think you have a you have a choice to make as a voter. Um, but if you don't know, you don't know, right? You're not if you're not yeah. sure, then you, I think you have to hear what you think. Well, Don. Um- as always, man, certainly appreciate you coming on uh, and, and having this discussion with us. Always uh, have a lot of respect for you and uh, continued success this season with your Marlins and uh, continue to have an impact on guys' career. Appreciate you coming on. Appreciate it, Tony, John. Always good to talk to you guys.
All right, John, it is time now for our inside corner where you kind of give us the updates on what you are hearing going around Major League Baseball. Let's start with uh, starting pitching that could be available come trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to predict on this, but, uh, you know, because there's so few teams are really eliminated at this point. I'd say everybody but Pittsburgh's in in the National League and uh, the American League. Uh, there's probably only three teams that are uh, more than three games, depending on when you listen to this, more than three games out of the wild card. So difficult to predict, but it's always interesting. And we're only three weeks away. So I look at the AL West as a, as a spot where there could be some pitchers traded out of. Uh, it's going to be so much competition, clearly a seller's market. Uh, if you've got 20 teams in it or thinking they're in it or more, I mean, 16 teams are going to make it. So maybe 25 teams will, will think they're in it. But uh, I think Dylan Bundy off to a very nice start with the Angels. That team is not off to a good start. We shall see. I don't know how easily they're going to give up. They were had, had big expectations for this year after getting Rendon and Joe Madden, but uh, I would say he'd be a possibility. Seattle, to me, they're not a contender. I'm not sure what they're doing. Uh, they always confound me. I don't get it. Uh, Marco <laughs> Gonzalez has been a very solid pitcher, though, uh, and they've had him signed up, and uh, you know they obviously like him, so perhaps they don't want to trade him, but if they get the right price, I think Jerry DePoto's uh, apt to trade anybody. Uh, that's a possibility. You know what? I, everyone thought the Astros were going to be a shoe-in uh, with eight teams making it. I, I thought it was going to be difficult for them this year after seeing him in spring training. Obviously, with the pandemic, a lot has changed. They have not performed to this point, though. So I'm not going to rule out trades from them. And Zach Greinke uh, would be a guy at last. He was traded at the last deadline, and it was kind of at the last second that he was traded. And uh, he still retains that value because he is throwing very, very well and could help somebody. And uh, yeah, yeah. obviously, with Verlander hurt at the moment and Osuna out at the moment uh, and all their different struggles, I would say that's a possibility. Texas, I think they're going to hang in there. But if they don't, uh, they've got two great young, great, I wouldn't say young, great uh, rotation options in Minor and Lynn. Lynn has been fabulous so far this year uh, that teams would look at. Uh, they would want quite a bit for either one of them. So I, I think a lot of the action could be in the AL West. It's probably, even though it's three weeks, it's early to talk. I also look at Johnny Cueto as a guy who can step in there. He did it for the Royals a few years ago, helped them win a World Series. And if Robbie Ray gets on track like he can, he is very talented, a free agent after the year. Maybe Arizona's not going to be in it. They were one of my surprise picks, but that's another guy I think who could be traded. But that's my early picks uh, for starting pitchers to be traded. Yeah, Cueto could be an interesting one. He's seemingly starting to, to find his rhythm on the mound. One of the issues this year – John, is with no minor league baseball, a lot of these prospects are really without a place to play. What are you hearing in terms of prospects and, and, and possibly some of those guys? Yeah, we've gotten up? a few already. Joe Adele is up, obviously. We saw Spencer Howard throw for the uh, Phillies in his debut, a very much heralded debut. But I got a list of close to 10 guys who I think could come up this year, may come up, and could help teams. Gavin Lux, obviously, with the Dodgers, great hitting middle infielder. Uh, Mackenzie Gore, the Padres could call up another guy. They already called up Patino, left-hander, uh, big guy. Got four pitches, uh, should be a star at this level. 
at any level. And Alec Bohm, another guy for the Phillies, third baseman, has got big power. Uh, Kellenick with the uh, the Mariners. I mean, they got to be all about prospects at this point. He's one of the better ones in baseball. Joey Barr, catcher with the Giants. Uh, he's a big-time power prospect. Uh, Dylan Carlson with the Cardinals. We hope they get playing at, at some point here pretty soon, but uh, he's one of the better prospects right, in baseball. Right. Casey Mize was the number one all-around pick. Uh, a few a couple of years back, and uh, he's got an incredible split finger, and he's certainly uh, going to be able to pitch uh, in a rotation fairly soon. And the other guy, the last guy would be Kirilov, Alex Kirilov with the Twins, who's ready, orthodox, left-handed power hitter. Of course, uh, I don't know, do the Twins need any more power? So I think he, of all of them, he's probably the least likely, but that's just a matter of the team that uh, he's with and uh, the needs that they have. How about a, a Corey Kluber update? Yeah. He uh, had left left early with some shoulder issues. What are you hearing on him? Yeah, Corey Kluber. I, the news is not uh, too uh, optimistic uh, on Corey Kluber. Um, I think uh, early on uh, it was said that maybe he could rejoin the bullpen for the final couple weeks of the season. Uh, my understanding is just a, a very just because of the sh- shortness of the season, very slim chance that he will be able to get back. It's not a career threatening. Uh, injury they do not believe so uh, he'll be a free agent after the year and can sign elsewhere but uh he's very likely done for the year mm, that's really unfortunate uh for for Corey Kluber because I believe he's going to be correct yes you're absolutely right there are a lot of good free agent pitchers uh nobody like Garrett Cole maybe but Garrett Cole's nemesis uh Trevor Bauer is off to a big start <laughs> you've got exactly you got Paxton and uh Tanaka and uh uh, minor. Uh, I mean, there, there's a solid, it's a very nice, solid list of starting pitchers. All right. Uh, it's, it's weird that I'm asking this question in a 60 game season. You would think there would be a little more leeway, but are there some GMs on the hot seat? Yeah, this, this is almost season? like a, a regular, uh, a, a regular thought for us each week. Unfortunately, last week we talked about Mike Rizzo, who's done a terrific job with Washington, uh, with the angels. Uh, you, you're right. You're, you make an excellent point, Tony. Uh, you think there'd be leeway with 60 games, but, uh, I've heard that, uh, Artie Marino, his patience is running thin with the angels. Uh, they obviously switched quickly with Osmus. He was only there for a year. Uh, and then they brought in Joe Madden. Uh, and so Billy Epler, the GM, I think is on the hot seat. Uh, I think that's unfortunate. I like Billy Epler very much. I think he'll be a terrific uh, executive. Uh, and I'd like to see him get a, a longer chance than this. But, uh, uh, you know, obviously the big signing, uh, you know, he may take the hit, even though this is probably the owner's decision. Uh, and again, it's very early in the season. We'll see. But Anthony Rendon is hitting around 100 to start. Uh, I mean, he's a terrific hitter and he'll come out of it, certainly. Uh, but you've got the injury to Otani that hurt them. Uh, obviously, Pujols is on the way down. Um, you know, Billy Epler was not there for that signing. That was Jerry Depoto, who's moved on to Seattle. His team's got its own issues. But, uh, uh, you know, I think they've done a good job rebuilding the farm. It's much better. But uh, Joe Adele, who's their top prospect, has come up. And uh, early on, very early on, he's he's looked a little bit overmatched at the plate. Uh, and, of course, he had that ball that bounced off his mitt, went over the fence for a 
what I think is a home run, but they called it a yeah. four-base error uh, for Solak. Uh, the judges are tough. Uh, it's been a tough year for everyone all around. But I'd like to see Billy Upler get more of a chance. But I, I do think that uh, he is in the, on the hot seat in L.A. or L.A. of Anaheim or Anaheim, whatever you want to call it. They gave that a four-base error. Yeah, they moved it. They changed that. it. I mean, That's pretty rough. They, they hand out kids like nowadays so that's surprising to hear that all right lastly john um what are you hearing on francisco Lindor? yeah well front? first of all get out of the way and i think i mentioned this before he's very unlikely to be traded it's just a, a, a difficult season to give up huge prospects when we really can't be guaranteed that the season is going to finish so uh, i just don't see him being traded i also think cleveland's going to be in it their pitching is too good even without zach plesak and so i i don't see him being traded but in terms of being signed up and i, I think people understand it's very unlikely that the the indians are going to be able to come up with the money to 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 sign him they have uh, negotiated with him a bit on occasion they have made efforts no question that cleveland has made has made tries but their revenue is just not in that ballpark uh, to sign a player of this ilk and i i think lindor is one of the top five players in the game um you know he's fantastic shortstop with power uh, energy anything you want to say about him fantastic but in terms of his asking price uh it's going to be tough for cleveland uh, i've heard that he's asking for the very top dollar as in the toppest the the, mo- the highest that make i'm i'm inventing words it's so high the highest amount uh which would mean you know, obviously mike trout is the highest right he his his deal including the two years that were uh, that he already had is with worth 420 million i believe 426 million and then you've got bets with 365 even if you go there that's still too much for cleveland but i i heard without hearing the specific figure he's looking to be paid with the very top players in the game so that's whether you want to take that as mike trout or you don't count mike trout it's either 426 or 365 uh that's a lot of money for the cleveland indians to uh to pay yeah, this is certainly some forecasting the Padres should be paying close attention to because they have a player who plays the same position, very similar in how they play the game. Could be uh, something they're looking at. John, as always, appreciate the info on Inside Corner. All right, that's been a Big Time uh, Baseball Podcast with Tony Gwynn Jr. This is John Heyman. It's been a fabulous episode with the Yankees legend and Marlins manager Don Mattingly and all the rest that's gone on in Major League Baseball. Until next time, this is John Heyman signing off with Tony Gwynn Jr.